For those who are listening to this service outside these walls, by other means, maybe online or some other way, you're listening to the services of the Broomfield Baptist Church. This is the pastor bringing the Sunday morning message as we continue our studies on how Jesus is expounding the spirit of the law in light of its letter, and that will be found in Matthew and chapter number 5. You can join us and follow along in Matthew chapter number 5. I'll draw your attention as we begin to one verse, but we're going to go back and look primarily beginning at verse 27. If you would look with me at verse number 48. Matthew chapter number 5 and verse 48. We see as Jesus begins to transition into his next major topic in the sermon on the, the so-called Sermon on the Mount, he closes his first major point about the law and how it needs to be received by one of his followers, a disciple, with these words. He says in Matthew chapter number 5 and verse 48, Be ye, that is plural, he's talking to the group of disciples, Be ye therefore perfect. The word perfect means mature. It means uh, it comes from teleos, so there's a completeness, there's a fullness, there's a maturity. Don't read sinlessness into this. Read maturity. Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. Now, Heavenly Father, we come before you and ask that you would grant just that to us, that we would learn something from your word this morning that would help us to walk in a little more maturity than we did yesterday as we follow the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray that each one here this morning, myself included, would be able to grow from the grace and knowledge of your word as we learn more about our Savior who is meek and lowly, who has invited us to come to him to learn of him. We do so this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I want to remind you as we begin of our main thought together, and that is that if we'll protect our heart, then that will allow us to project our testimony. And when we as disciples of the Lord, as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, project our testimony from a protected heart, that will lead us to be able to present the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ to those that are in our sphere of influence. So simply reminding you that a protected heart means a projected testimony. And a projected testimony means opportunities of a presented gospel. Jesus Christ called His disciples by the Sea of Galilee and they followed Him. And they left all, some of them left everything and followed Him. And as He went aside from them, He went up into a mountain, they came to Him and they joined Him. And he opened his mouth as he was sitting on that hillside that day and he taught them. And he began his so-called Sermon on the Mount with the Beatitudes. Blessed are, blessed are, blessed are, blessed are those attitudes of blessedness that we should have if we follow Christ. He gets our attention with that opening. Then he goes on to explain how if we will live that way, we can expect tribulation, we can expect trial to come as we follow the Lord. And we can expect to be an abrasive element in this sinful world that God originally created as very good and yet man has plummeted far away from God. And as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, it doesn't mean that we're better than anyone else. It just means we've found the way of truth and we've found the way of life. 
And as we promote that, and as we as we share that with others, we're going to have to eventually tell someone they're wrong. Because everybody can't be right. We know the Bible says, let God be true and let every man be a liar. And so as we, as we encounter tribulation, Jesus Christ is going to help His disciples learn how to handle hard, difficult times. Even when it seems like it shouldn't be coming from the people that it's coming from. These difficulties arise. How should our attitude be? How should we respond to tribulation? How should we respond to persecution? When we're simply trying to follow Jesus. That's all we want to do. We want to live for Jesus. And yet, we find out that there's trouble along the way. Well, Jesus says, number one, you need to count it like God does. Count it all joy, James would say. He says, rejoice, Jesus said. In that, this is the same thing that Wicked men and women have done throughout the ages to all of God's messengers that He has sent to them. They have rejected and denied the truth of His Word. And He says, Rejoice and be exceeding glad. Because while the world might not observe that, while the world may not see all that you're going through, and they might, they might have other ideas in mind about why you're going through what you're going through, God sees and God knows. And one day He will reward those who faithfully live for Him unto the end. And as he continues, he draws their attention to a major problem within the religious life of their day. The disciples are going to encounter. Now as I study the life of the Lord, I see that right from the outset, he is already preparing his disciples for what he knows is going to come down the road. I take you in your mind to John chapter number 6, that great turning where the Lord said some difficult words and many went away from Him that day. So much so that He asked the twelve that remained and one of them betrayed Him. He asked the twelve that remained, will ye go away also? And from John chapter number 5, when He healed that lame man at the pool of Bethesda and He did it on the Sabbath, when His disciples broke the Sabbath in the mind of the Pharisees, because of what the scribes had expounded and written about all that was in the law. They had added to God's Word. They were guilty, as Jesus would say later, of teaching for the doctrines of God the commandments of men. God never taught that. He never, he never instructed His people about the minutia of the detail that the religious leaders had, had fallen into in their day. Oh, they had it looking good on the outside, but their heart was far from truly walking with God. Jesus confronts their hypocrisy. He lambasted right here in the first major point. And He encourages His disciples, don't fall into that trap. You don't want to be the one who becomes that, that lawbreaker because you look at it and you rationalize it away and you say, well, you know, the law says this, so I'm going to live this way. And you comb your hair right and you get all the externals right, but your heart begins to wander and drift. You wind up in religious mechanics and it's ceremonialism and it looks real good, but your prayers are probably not getting answered the way that they really should and your heart's drifting away from God. Jesus says, don't fall into that trap. No. He encourages His disciples to go and be model disciple makers. Teachers of disciple makers. 
Now that adds an element, doesn't it? We we always talk about discipleship. Well, we need to be discipled. Yes, you do need to be discipled. If you've never gone through discipleship, you need to sit down with someone that you trust, that knows the Word of God, men with men, women with women, and you need to sit down with them and go through the Scriptures until you have these elementary things down. Discipleship is important. But there comes a time when a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ moves on from learning and begins to give that knowledge of Christ to others that they can influence. And they become disciple teachers. And they're teaching other disciple makers at that point. This is when multiplication happens. And that's where we see the early church going out everywhere, preaching the Word. And churches were multiplied. And when they went like God said they should, they had rest round about them. And notice Jesus Christ is helping His disciples in this section after telling them they would be the soul to the earth. After instructing them about how they would be the light of the world. He goes into this aspect of the law and helps His disciple, the one who would follow Him with their life, to know how to operate in community around them and how to deal primarily with passion is what we're looking at in this segment. In verses 21 through 32, we're seeing how Jesus Christ is helping His disciples learn to deal with their inward passions because what comes out of the heart is that which drives a person. And Solomon said, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are all the issues of life. If we'll set that watch over our heart, if we'll have that watchman at the door of our heart, then things will be a lot easier. Sometimes we go to sleep on the watch. And Jesus would remind us, Watch ye therefore and pray, for ye know not when the hour of temptation would come. But as we follow the Lord, let's not forget, this is in a legal context. In in the day in which Jesus Christ is giving these words, He is talking to His disciples. Every one of these is a reference to the legal system and the legal structure of Israel primarily. And He goes back to the Mosaic Law. And he says, you have heard that it had been said by the ancients. You have heard that it had been said by them of old time. Now, hath been said, not hath been written, hath been said. There was an oral tradition that had been passed down, as I mentioned earlier, that began to corrupt the whole system of Judaism. And they were drifted away from God. We need to be an advocate for Christ in every area of our life. And the first area he deals with is to be an advocate for Jesus Christ in the people's court. You can laugh at that now because you thought about it last week for those who were here. To be an advocate for Christ in the people's court. You've heard that it hath been said, it was said by them of old time, thou shalt not kill, and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. Uh, Don't murder or you're going to get in trouble and you're going to have to go to jail for it. That's what he's saying. That's what you've heard has been said of old time. But he says, I'm going to say something that's a little bit deeper than that. It's not just the external act of murder that God sees and will judge. It is the act of hatred in the heart because that's the beginning of that seed that was planted in Abel or in Cain that caused him to murder his brother Abel all the way back in the garden. And so it's that heart issue that Jesus Christ is concerned about. It's the spirit of the law, not the letter of the law. And so Jesus goes on to say, I say unto you that whosoever whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause. Notice the exception clause there. Is there an exception clause with that statement? Hang on to that because that will be important in just a moment. 
Whosoever shall is angry with his brother, here's the condition, without a cause, okay, you get that, hold on to it, shall be in danger of the judgment. That's where it starts. In the heart. And if you go beyond that and you actually vocalize your hatred and say Raka, you'll have to go before the Sanhedrin. You'll have to go before the council. And you'll have to deal with the state system in that day, so to speak. And if it escalates beyond that, you're going to have to go uh, not only to the Sanhedrin, you're not going to just have to go to the local municipal court, you're going to have to go all the way up to the Supreme Court of the land. And you're going to have to give an account for how you are dealing and treating wrongly your brother. Now, we mentioned that this is a brother that you're angry at without a cause. And so he says, thou fool. If you say, thou fool, you shall be in danger of hellfire. So do you see the progression? You've got to see the progression. It starts on the, on the inside, and then it makes its way out. It winds up before men, and then it escalates as far as they can go. And then when men can't do anything about it, you answer to God, and He will do what's right. He will bring retribution. You see hellfire there? That's strong terminology. And throughout this point, Jesus Christ is going to refer to strong terminology because this is a serious matter. Oh, you know, it was just a little anger. I didn't do anything. I didn't do anything with it. No, it matters. And it is it is as serious as hellfire to deal with this property. He says, he goes on to say, Alright, you bring your gift to the altar. You're going to worship God, and yet you've had this you've had this going on. And now you come to the altar. Let's deal with a different scenario. You're not the angry one, but you remember that your brother is angry with you. And you're coming to try to worship God, and the Holy Spirit brings that back to your mind. What do you do? Jesus says, don't continue on in hypocrisy. Go get right. Leave your gift. Go make it right as best as you can, and then come back and offer, and you can worship God freely. You see, there's always... Restoration. There's always a reconciliation with God. He's always about putting things back together and healing and making whole. And so this this prompting moves us then to have to humble ourselves and go get right with someone, doesn't it? We have to put on humility. Leave your gift. Go that way. First be reconciled with thy brother and come and offer thy gift. Now watch this. He says, agree with thine adversary quickly whilst thou art in the way with him. Remember I pointed out that in Roman law, Someone could drag you, I mean literally, physically drag you. If you wouldn't go with them, they could drag you to the authorities and settle the matter. So he says, just deal with it quickly before it gets to that point. Settle it before it comes before law. Okay. But again, the context is in a legal situation. And I'll just say this again because I said it before. You are not called on to be a doormat as a Christian. Please let that sink in. But when the name of Christ is at stake, when the testimony of the Lord is in purview, and it is going to drag His name through the mud in the midst of the, of the world that we're trying to reach, that's when these things apply, specifically to the context. Be reconciled. Be reconciled. And there's a continuing progression here. You know, he goes on, Lest at any time the adversary deliver thee to the judge, the judge deliver thee to the officer, and thou be cast into prison. Verily I say unto thee, thou shalt by no means come out thence till thou hast paid the uttermost farthing. So just agree. Make it right. Deal with those heart matters before they escalate. Don't let things simmer. I was talking with a friend the other day that showed me a pot that was missing a lid. 
Some of you who cook a lot will really relate to this, I think. That pot was missing a lid because that pot was the pot to the old pressure cooker. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Yeah, the lid's nowhere around. Because whatever happened, you know those pressure cookers, they, they pressurize. And then they if, if you're around when they blow, it can be really dangerous. People have been scalded, burned, different things. And so that was just a reminder. Hey, deal with it when it's early on. Don't let things simmer and don't let them pressurize in the heart because uh, there's three ways that you can deal with your anger primarily. You can you can explode with your anger and you maybe know people that do that. They just fly off the handle and they, they can't control their temper. There's other people that they might not fly off the handle like that. They may not explode that way. They'll just simmer and they'll pressurize and they'll build up pressure until finally that straw that breaks the camel's back. There's a third way to deal with anger. And it simply is, is, is like this. Just let the steam off. Okay? Just let the pressure down. How are you going to do that? The easiest way is to come to God and say, you know what? Why am I fighting for this? There's a right that I perceive that's been violated that I have. Usually it'll come down to that. Somebody violated something that you see as a right that you have. This is hard. This is the hard thing to do because you have to come before God and recognize that you as a Christian... Now, not as American, okay? I'm not talking to Americans here. I'm talking to Christians. Americans, we believe that God gave us certain unalienable rights. And sometimes anger might help us fight for those, right? If we didn't get angry with a cause when Pearl Harbor happened, uh, we would not be here today. If we didn't get angry with a cause when 9-11 happened, then we wouldn't be here today. So anger used properly can be used for the forces of good. I don't want to open up a whole debate here on warfare and pacifism and all that stuff, so let's not go there. I think you understand what I'm saying. When we don't deal with it the way that we should, how do we deal with it? You need to acknowledge, as a Christian, you have no rights before God. Why can I say that? Why do you have no rights? Because you gave them all at Calvary. You laid them all down at Jesus' feet and said, I will take up my cross and follow Him. As a disciple, you're going to have to relinquish your rights. This is where you're letting off the steam. You come to that person, maybe that wronged you, and you say, you know what? Vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. This isn't my fight anymore. This isn't my battle anymore. This is God's. And then... Your anger will subside, and you can let that steam off. You don't have to wait till you blow. You don't have to be the dynamite that goes off. Deal with it. All right, that's just a little helpful advice in the people's court. Now let's move on to the next court. Jesus Christ in verses 27 to 30 uh, reminds us that as disciples of His, we must be advocates for His cause in the private court. Not just in the people's court, but in the private court. Now we're getting more to the heart matters and the heart issues. In verse 27 of Matthew, chapter number 5, he says, Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not commit adultery. And that's where that old saying ends. Don't do it. Don't commit adultery. But I say unto you, again, parallel what he said about anger now with lust. It begins in the heart. He says, that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. 
I'm going to make this real difficult for you. That means what it says, and it says what it means. Plain and simple. If you need to understand that better, make an appointment with me, and we'll talk. If you look on a woman, now this is a man looking on a woman, obviously, to lust after her, he has committed adultery with her already in his heart. Interesting, because later on in John chapter number 9, there's a bunch of men that are going to grab a woman who was taken in adultery and bring her before Jesus. Where's the man? Good question. He that is without sin, let him cast the first stone, the Savior said. Interesting how he handled that scenario. As we look at what Jesus is saying here, it begins in the heart. It's so important that we set watchmen at the gates. Notice he's going to go on to explain this a little bit deeper. Let's continue reading. And he says, and. Alright, we've already established the fact, lust in the heart is equivalent in God's court, in the private court, to adultery. Anything outside of the marriage bond, outside of the marriage bed, that is how God would see this. Anything outside of that would be considered adultery in God's eyes. Are we clear on that point? Then he says, And if thy right eye offend thee, right signifying power, okay, this is the source of strength, So if your strongest eye, if your good eye, that is, if your right eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee, for it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. So do you see the progression again? There is progression. Just as before, you start with the council and then you move up to the Sanhedrin and then eventually to God's court. So here, if you don't deal with it quick, if you don't deal with it in in the heart, it will escalate and it will burn a fire beyond your control and it will manifest itself in areas of your life that you would never dream. Be sure your sin will find you out. Deal with it in the heart. As a disciple of the Lord, this is where we must do battle. This is a spiritual warfare in which we are engaged. And we must cast down every imagination. We must bring every thought captive to the cross of Christ. Because His name and His testimony is at stake. If thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out. Those are strong words. There have been ascetic monks who took that quite literally. I don't suggest you do that. Look at it for what Jesus is meaning here. If there was anyone in church history, and I use that broadly, the term broadly, if there was anyone in church history who understood what Jesus meant here, it was the Puritans. And all that they taught about a key doctrine that you can read about in many of their writings and their systematic theologies, and this doctrine centers around this term that you find in the epistles, mortification. How many of you have heard that before? It might be new to some of you here. Mortification. Simply put, mortification, according to the Puritans, meant this. Be killing sin, or it will be killing you. Put sin in your life to death, or it will put you to death. And so Jesus says the place to deal with mortification is not once it's manifested out here with the hands and the feet and the eyes. He says where you deal with it is in the heart. 
The only way you're going to be able to deal with this is with the power of the Holy Spirit, by the way. If you do it in your own strength and turn over a new leaf, you'll be turning over new leaves until you can't turn over any more new leaves and you give up on God. Notice I didn't say God gave up on you. I said you gave up on God because you didn't do it through the Holy Spirit. Because it's from the inside out. What do you want? What do you desire? Well, for young men at a certain age of their life, there's only a few things that they really desire. Power, money, women, you know, those kind of things. Some people never grow out of that stage. Maturity. Remember, our verse that we began with was, Be ye therefore mature. Be ye therefore perfect, as your Father in heaven is perfect. Think of the, the greatest image. Now, I know this could get me in trouble because not everybody has a good image of what a father should be. But think about what you would imagine the perfect father to be. Would he ever, would he ever violate and step over a boundary line that he shouldn't as a true loving father? I submit to you, not unless he breaks down in an area here that he's too weak. But if our Heavenly Father is the perfect picture for us, we know that that is a picture of true, genuine, fatherly love. And when your eye is causing you to stumble because you can't look at a brother or a sister in a way that you would look at them as true family should, as disciples of the Lord, then you've got a heart issue and you need help. And in the middle of a sermon is not the place to get that help. That's why I'm telling you in all seriousness, Make an appointment with me. Nobody else has to know but you and me. Just come talk to me. As your pastor, I would love to help you. And it can just be between you and me and nobody else. And I give you my word on that. And I will do everything that I can to help you within my power. Have I arrived? No, I'm, I'm still trying to attain that for which I've been apprehended of Christ. But I can tell you a lot of what not to do. Surely I can do that. I can pray with you. I can help you. Don't leave here if you need help. Men, do not leave here if you need help in this area. I want to help you. And we have a whole America filled with churches. The last statistic, the last statistic I heard broke my heart. It used to be maybe over 50%, and then I heard 60-65%. Now it's climbing to where 75 80% of people, specifically men in churches across our country, deal with issues like pornography. You have 10 people in a church. That means 7.5 to 8 of them. We need help. And this will destroy your life faster than anything else. It will. It takes down ministry after ministry, pastor after pastor. And if we're not careful to guard this area, the church will hurt. And our light will be put under a bushel. And our salt will have lost its savor. And we will be no good for the Lord Jesus Christ. And the world needs us to be good. It needs us to be seasoned. To where we can bring Christ to those that need it most. Notice how severely he says to deal with this. If it's your eye, pluck it out. If it's your hand, cut it off. 
Why? Because it's better that you deal with the member and stop it there than let it continue and your whole being suffer. The whole body. What do we do with cancer? If we can, cut it out. Treat it out. Get rid of it. Same principle. Get rid of the cancer because it will eat your whole body. Remember, a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. A little yeast makes a whole dough rise. A little sin in a church causes the whole thing to break down. No matter the size of the church. God help us. He says, cast it from thee. It is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. Notice it's singular there. There's a lot of T's. Let me, let me just emphasize that. Ye, plural, have heard that it was said by them, plural, of old time, Thou, singular, shalt not commit adultery. But I, singular, say unto you, plural, that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after, in, uh, lust after her in, hath committed adultery with her already in his singular heart. And if thy, singular, right eye offend thee, singular, pluck it out and cast it from thee, singular, for it is profitable for thee, singular, individual, that one of thy members should perish. This is personal. That's why we say we're dealing with this in the private court. Let me give you some words of encouragement that might help summarize and congeal all this together. I didn't come up with this, but this is good, so you might want to pay close attention. What we have, what, what do we have liberty to say on these matters? Okay, What liberty do we have here? This is what Jesus said. If your eye is causing you to sin, don't look. Let me try that again. If your eye is causing you to sin, don't look. Amen. Okay, that's better. If your foot is causing you to sin, don't go. Amen. Thank you. If your hand is causing you to sin, don't do it. Amen. Just don't. Easier said than done sometimes, isn't it? So this is the rule that Jesus laid down. And it's hypothetical. It's not universal. So He was not requiring all of His disciples, metaphorically speaking, to blind or maim themselves. That's not what He was aiming for. But only those whose eyes, hands, and feet were a cause of them sinning. It is they who have to take action. Others, they might be able to retain both of their eyes. Somebody else might be able to keep both of their hands. Another person might be able to keep both of their feet intact with impunity. Of course, even they may need to refrain from certain liberties out of a loving concern for those with weaker consciences or weaker wills, but that's another principle that's not enunciated here. You have to go to places like Romans 14 to learn that principle. What is necessary for all those with strong temptations, and I'm referring to sexual temptations primarily because that's what Jesus is dealing with here. If you have these strong temptations, and indeed for all of us as a general principle, is discipline 
in guarding the approaches of sin. Are you with me? Here's an illustration. The posting of sentries. That's commonplace military tactic, is it not? We had watchmen that watched the shore of certain islands in the Pacific during World War II, did we not? We had, we had those that would be signals, and they would be at watch. Jerusalem had the watchmen on the wall. And the cities in, in Jesus' day would have those watchmen. Watchmen, what of the night? What of the night? Now let's think about our own temple of the Lord. Let's think about our own citadel of the Lord. Posting of centuries. This is commonplace military tactic. Moral sentry duty is equally indispensable. You cannot live unscathed in this day and time and not have a sentry at your eyes and your hands and your feet. Job said it like this, I've made a covenant with mine eyes. Wherefore should I look upon a man? We set that watch at the gate. And when it comes, we deal with it there before it ever enters into the citadel. Because the heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. So moral censure duty is indispensable. Are we so foolish as to allow the enemy to overwhelm us simply because we've posted no centuries to warn us of his approach? Those are good words. Let me give you a modern day equivalent. Is your computer causing you to sin? Is your computer offending? Is your smartphone causing you to look at things you shouldn't? Cut it off? Okay, there's a little thing in the wall. There's a little thing in the back of your phone called a battery. (laughs) Unplug the thing. Turn the power off. And uh, I like how Pastor Randall used to say it. He said, even if you if you think you have it all down and you are going to have computers, make sure you have that thing locked down so tight Bill Gates himself couldn't get in there if he wanted to. That's how he put it. And I like that. That's good. Amen? It's not worth it. It's not worth it. And you've got to be ever diligent. You know what I mean. It's everywhere. And it's not just... SEX anymore here in Colorado. You just drive down the freeway and it's puff, puff, click, click, puff, or whatever. Buy your weed online. Yeah, I mean, we are just inundated. I came back from Wyoming yesterday and I came into Colorado and immediately I knew I was here because of the billboard. And mind you, it was a medical billboard. I mean, it was a medical provider and they were... You know, it was talking about health or something, but it was it was just that allusion to, you know, the old John Denver mentality. All right. Whether it's drugs, alcohol, lust, we have to deal with it before it becomes a cancer that eats us from the inside out. You're not going to follow Jesus wholeheartedly and keep your eyes on the cross if you're constantly distracted with all these other lusts and anger and these issues that we're looking at. You be an advocate for Christ in the people's court. Deal with your anger. Learn how to deal with it. Learn how to get right with other people through humility. Deal with lust 
and keep your focus on Jesus and on the cross and remember why He's called you to do what He's called you to do. That is, to follow Him. And He would make you become fishers of men. But you can't, you can't watch the line if you're all distracted over here. The fish is going to get away. That soul is going to be one that you miss because you're engaged in other activity. That's unprofitable for you. And when you stand before the Lord Jesus Christ, you will give an account. And there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Anguish and pain. And here I can be a friend as long as you'll let me. And I can save you right now with these words from some of that future anguish and pain. But you've got to get it. I can't do it for you. You have to get it. In following Jesus. And I plead with you. There's no greater way. There's no better place to find peace and contentment and just trust in the Lord. He'll provide for all your needs. All those things you're worried about, He's going to take care of you. He will. You need to learn to trust Him. And I do too.